You're listening to Dirty Feet, a dance podcast. I'm Allison Burns. For this episode, I'm here at the Shankman Art Center in Orleans, in Ottawa, and I'm going to be speaking with the artistic director of Taralouz Dance, who is Anik Bouvray, and uh, she is uh, taken time out of her busy schedule to come join me because they're actually preparing for a show that's coming up at the end of October here in uh, at the Shankman Art Center, uh, Les Batons, and so we'll be getting around to talking about that, certainly, and let's start with uh, with talking about yourself and Nick. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So you uh, grew up in Ottawa. You went to De La Salle, which is a um, arts high school here in the city. And then you went off to Simon Fraser University in Vancouver to continue your studies. Uh, however, you came back to the city and uh, you were just telling me briefly about how um, you decided to lay a foundation here for dance. Uh, when you returned, Le Groupe was here. Um, and not much else. Can you give us an idea of what the landscape looked like in Ottawa when you returned? So when I came back to Ottawa in 1993, Le Groupe Dance Lab was there and was definitely a pillar for contemporary dance in the community. Um, there were also other individuals that were key, uh, Sylvie Desrosiers, Lana Morton, Yvonne Coutts, um, and others. And um, so independently, there were some things happening, but they were sparse and here and there. So I think we all concluded, and even with Peter Bonham at Le Groupe, we concluded that there was a lot of work to do in terms of, of other activities that could happen here. And um, it was about getting artists to stay here. That was the first component. I think in Ottawa for many years, um, artists that were interested in pursuing in dance uh, thought that they had to move away to be able to do that. And having Montreal and Toronto so close, that moving away wasn't so bad. Um, it wasn't that far, really, to do a move like that. So I think for us, the first thing was to try and create projects that we could encourage dancers to stay in Ottawa. Uh, that was probably the first step uh, to show them that yes, it was possible to stay here and and maybe not have a full time career in dance as a dancer, but certainly take part in some projects that could potentially eventually lay uh, the foundation for more work in the future. Um, so it was quite virgin soil, I would say, uh, when I arrived, and I saw great potential in terms of, of um, having the community grow, um, having choreographers stay in the city to create work and having dancers stay to perform in that work. Um, and so since then, that's what's happened over, over the course of, of almost 20 years. So we've had um, um, a key group of people that were really committed to doing that and have done that in the last 20 years, um, definitely with some ups and downs. For myself, what interested me, um, maybe not, of course, in the beginning, but more and more now was, was the Francophone community because I am Franco-Ontarian and seeing that there was very little activity um, uh, or presence of contemporary dance in the Francophone community and wanting to make a difference on that front. On that note, 
were you an ambassador for uh, as a French Canadian over in Vancouver while you were studying there, or was there a community there that you found uh, to integrate into? Um, definitely in Vancouver, when as a when I was at Simon Fraser, I was one of the only francophones in the dance program. There was also Caroline Barrière, in fact, who also came back and was an uh, and is an active member in the Ottawa dance community. Um, so when I arrived in Vancouver, I would say that the francophone community that was there um, that I took part in. Um, maybe not very actively, but certainly did some things, uh, was not a dance community. In, so the Francophone community that I um, not did projects with, but let's say I would go see performances, etc., was not dance. It was more rooted, I'd say, in theater and in um, music. Uh, so, yeah, I felt a little bit alone definitely in Vancouver as a francophone. Um, um, and maybe that's one of the reasons I didn't stay as well. I, I definitely wanted to be within a francophone center. And here in Ontario, there's quite a few pockets of, of uh, francophone communities um, that you've accessed through through schools and, and different uh, places. Can you, can you tell us a little bit what that landscape looks like in terms of... Uh, um, I, I think I... I'm surprised by how many Franco-Ontario communities there are in this province. Yes, absolutely. So in Ottawa, uh, because it's such a bilingual city, uh, there are many Francophone schools and there's a very vibrant Francophone community. For the rest of Ontario, what happens with the Franco-Ontarian communities is that they're very dispersed. There's a number of them in, in uh, northern Ontario, but they represent small pockets of francophone communities across the province. So that's why it's harder to have a sense uh, of them because they are so dispersed across the province. But what we found out through touring, and we've been touring in some of the northern uh, francophone communities for the last three years, is that, in fact, historically, these communities have not had access to dance or contemporary dance uh, because historically um, these communities on an artistic front have developed through community centers where they have um, uh, received performances of, of uh, we say chanson musique which would be I'm not sure what in English but it's is uh, music but uh, singing you know like not contemporary music so chanson musique and also theater. Um, and so it's been rooted very much in the language. Um, so in fact, those communities have had very little access to uh, dance. And also because um, these communities um, in general uh, go see performances in a community center, often those um, uh, community centers are not equipped to receive dance. So they don't have a dance floor or they don't have a proper stage to, to even bring in a dance performance. Um, yet having said all that, what I've discovered is that the Franco-Ontarian community, uh, children, adults, 
are in fact very curious about dance. So every time we've gone and we've presented our work, there's a really beautiful connection or first meeting uh, that is proposed. And, and it's very interesting how, in fact, it's about access. What we've discovered is that by not having access, these communities don't really know we exist in contemporary dance. So it's not a lack of interest. It's all about access. And then after, it's about approach. Because if in these communities, they don't have um, access to art as much as we would in a larger center, I think that first meeting is really, really important. How do you present your work to them? And how, how do you reach them through your approach? Because the reality is not the same, not at all. As, as we might have here in the larger centers. Um, in some of these smaller northern centers, they have huge economical uh, challenges. So for them to come see a performance, it's very different uh, than us. So I think it's about looking at what their reality is uh, now, but also historically, and really thinking about that first meeting, that first time that they're going to see contemporary dance. Um, but the interest is there. And it's, for me, very. it's a very exciting time for contemporary dance. I think for those Francophone uh, communities in Ontario, um, we have presenters that have never presented dance that are now interested, that are now thinking, okay, yeah, maybe this is doable. I think we have to think about our approaches in the sense that the first time we go, we, not, we may not be able to present a full-length work with all of the production elements because that space is just not equipped to, to present a work like that. Uh, what we've decided to do, um, I imagined at one point an event that, we call, that we've called En Studio Avec Nous, which is a really important initiative for us in terms of... Um, reaching out to new audiences that have never seen the art form and make it, making it accessible to them, but also making it accessible to an audience of all ages. Uh, so avec nous, we invite everyone of all ages to come to the studio, um, and we begin the event by showing them an excerpt of our work, and it's an excerpt, bare-bone, you know, excerpt with no production elements. Um, and then what we do is we kind of make that line that separates us and the audience disappear. And we invite them on the floor with us to move with us based on some of the concepts they've just seen in the performance. So it's about getting them to experience in their bodies some of the concepts we work on as professionals. And we do it through improvisation, so it's very accessible to them. Um, but it starts from a professional place, and it's adapted to people who are not dancers or who don't dance, and also adapted for an audience of all ages. So in the room, we might have children three years old and up to seniors all moving together. But moving together based on a concept that they've just seen in performance in the studio so that they leave the event having been, um, 
how do you say sensibiliser, like having been informed, you know, about the practice? And I know that we've been doing this event now since 2011, and I've had some people come to me after and say, I'm just not going to look at a dance performance in the same way anymore, you know? Because dance is the art of the body. So, yes, of course, we can speak about it, we can in intellectualize it, but when someone has an experience in movement, their information about the art form is different, you know? They've lived something in their body, so when they're going to go to a performance and watch a dance performance, yes, their experience, that experience will inform the way they look at that work. So what we've done is we've taken that event and brought it on tour, and that's how we've been able to um, present to some of those communities where um, those audiences just not have never seen contemporary dance or do not necessarily have the, um, the theaters to be able to present. At the moment, I would say, to present a full-length work. And that's a way to start building relationships where a presenter, for instance, uh, might... Um, invite us to do us to do avec nous and see the potential and go okay maybe I need to start e equipping my theater to be able to actually in a few years be able to bring it bring in a full-length show so it, it is my perception that that over the 20 years you've been developing the dance community in Ottawa uh, over the past let's say 10, where Taralouz has been in operation, the focus has been, you've layered this audience development on top of, of creating opportunities for, for artists. Absolutely, absolutely. Because definitely what's happened for us and it, in terms of audience development is that when we became in residence here at the Shankman Arts Centre, that was in 2009. There was a group of very visionary people in Ottawa that for 20 years worked at getting this center, having this center become a reality. And the center is in the east end of Ottawa where the presence of art was very sporadic. And, and uh, I think we will always be so grateful to that group of people who for 20 years fought to have a building for the arts here in the East End, to have a presence of the for the arts that was sound and 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 part of the community. So when the building opened in two thousand and nine, we became in residence here, and that was a huge development for the company because we had we finally had a home, and our work of audience development, but also of rooting ourselves in the community here in the East End, started. Because for us, it became easier to do audience development um, on a more day-to-day um, -day basis because we were starting to be recognized, oh, you're the dance company at the Shankman Arts Center. We were not this kind of gypsy company that was kind of moving around, which is okay, but for audience development, that's a little bit more difficult. They like to associate, the audience likes to associate you two to somewhere, to a place. Mm -hmm. So when we became in residence here, our work in audience development really started. Every day we're out there on the field. We're, it's building blocks that we're, that we're doing. And also having the Shankman Arts Center being 
so close to the community. We have people of all ages that enter this building because there's five organizations that are partner here. So, for instance, um, it's not just a place to to show uh, performances, but through the um, partner organizations, people come in the building to go take classes, for instance, um, theater classes, uh, all sorts of different classes, visual arts classes. So we have a stream of people coming in and out of the building and a lot of children. And I remember um, the center had an open house and they had asked us if we could show an excerpt of our work in the theater. You know, it was free to the audience. It was really like a, we're opening the doors of the Shankman, come and see us. And in that performance, there were a lot of children, um, a lot of families. And after that performance, I saw the possibility of my work being work for young audiences and work for an audience of all ages. And that, that was a real turning point for me in terms of the way I was thinking of my work and how my work, in fact, that audience development, that audience building or that community building could extend itself to children and youth. And so that was a real turning point for me. So yes, as a choreographer, understanding the the um, role that your work is playing in this sort of audience development and, as you're saying, this direction for children and and lending itself to being broken down and shared um, as you do with your, with your workshop format, uh, how does that affect how you make dances? Mm-hmm. So I would say at first I saw that there was something about my work um, that seemed to speak to children and I've al- always been really fascinated by dreams and by the imagination. So my work has that in it. Um, I like to work with props. Uh, I, and I wouldn't even say props. I would say objets um, quotidien, objects from our daily lives. And I saw that for children and for youth, that was like a door for them. It was like through the object... Um, they would recognize the object on the stage, and that was their door to come into the work. Um, and then we would bring them elsewhere by the way that we manipulated the object on stage. So I saw already that I had a few ingredients in my work that uh, seemed to to appeal to children. And so I really then made a choice. Okay, if I'm going to go in this direction, I, I need to really now start looking at my work um, uh, vis-a-vis that point of view. Um, and I did it in a very intuitive way. At the same time, I started um, working more and more in the schools and having contact with children. And that was an important aspect for me of the company because I did want to have an impact in the community. Um, and and so that happened all at the same time. So there were a few ingredients that were there that kind of all came together at the same time, which, which made me kind of shift my thinking of my work and look at it really as a work for an audience of all ages with a focus on children and youth. So I started looking at for instance, the way I was constructing my works, and I started looking at perhaps creating it in a way that the sections in the structure, for instance, the sections are shorter um, for the children, you know, with maybe less of an attention span 
but I say this and I don't quite believe it. I think children do have a great attention span if they are presented with something that will hold their attention. So, but anyway, I did make the conscious choice, for instance, in studio to, um, to build my pieces now where a, a section, you know, instead of being six, seven minutes might be three. Um, so there were a few things like that, that I kind of did intuitively. I, I looked at the work I was doing with day-to-day -day, day -to -day objects, and then I, I, I went further with that uh, in the pieces I created after, and just just having that object, seeing how that object can really be a door for for uh, the young audience to come in. Um, two years ago, I attended the conference in Montreal that was organized there, really focusing on dance work for young audiences. And... Um, it was great to have, um, you know, we had, for instance, uh, Hélène Blackburn was there, Pierre-Paul Savoie, Bouge de la Sursault. And it was great for me to hear um, these choreo choreographers talk about their process. And I left that conference going, wow, this, is, this validates what I do because I do this as well. And I was doing it quite intuitively. Uh, of course, with some intellectual, you know, reflection process, of course. But, you know, I think I was, I was definitely um, already going in that direction. Um, we have a lot of discussion in, in the studio as well, the dancers and I, about um, um, the presence of theatricality in the work for the children um, and how that needs to be present there's something about theatricality that will reach uh, a child and so it can't for me I will have sections of my work that are more abstract but definitely now I try to work the, the theatricality uh, more and I try to pace my work so that it has contrast which is not something I was doing prior necessarily so that um um, I might have uh, a section that is lighter uh, followed by a section that is very serious. And I've consciously made a choice for myself that I'm going to build or I have been building my pieces like a dream. Like I'm fascinated by dreams. I think it's incredible that you wake up in the morning, you think about the dream you've just had. Sometimes you don't remember it, but... and. I dream sometimes and I'm, I'm kind of on this narrative, which sometimes doesn't make much sense, but it doesn't matter. I'm on a narrative and all of a sudden my dream just brings me somewhere completely different and it has no logical structure, you know, and I'm fascinated how the brain can do that. And so I've been playing with that to see what if I, I build my piece like that, that you know, I'll have a section and then all of a sudden I go somewhere completely different. So the big questioning then becomes, we do need a field conductor. Like we do need something that will... A through line. Yeah, a through line. So what can that be? What can the through line be if it's not through uh, narration, like narration, you know, or a narrative logical development? Um, so that's been really fun thinking about that. I think for us, the 
the process that we've done is that often it's that object that becomes the through line, how that object from beginning to end will bring us a bit like on a, on a journey, on a journey through the piece so that it's not necessarily the story. It's, it's something much more abstract than that. Children can have very raw reactions and be very critical and vocal about it. Is there anything you can point to that, that was surprising to you that it was successful or unsuccessful in the eyes of, of children? Yeah, definitely. Young audiences are difficult. Like we're, we're finding out and the schedules are hard too, because when we do a student matinee, we might be at the theater at seven in the morning because we have a nine, nine thirty show. Uh, and then you have a second one in the afternoon. So it's very interesting how I hope that, you know, when you say I do work for an audience of all ages and young audiences that, that is not looked upon as being inferior because I do not think that it is. I think that it demands a lot from the dancers to be on stage in front of, you know, 300 young faces that are looking at you. <laughs> um, and their, and their um, reaction is immediate and it is raw and they tell you right then and there. And I know some of the things we've, um, we've gone through, uh, some children trying to come up on stage, you know. Um, also, there was a beautiful moment in Les Suis d'Angélie where the dancer comes out. She has kind of this very long dress and we put a, over a hundred lemons on it. And then she, she just kind of walks slowly out with the lemons. And this little boy very exuberantly shouted out, is she going to eat all those lemons? And, and you kind of hear that. And it, because they're vocal, like they'll just say it as an adult will will keep it to themselves, you know? So we've had moments like that, or we've had like moments where we hear them go, <gasps> you know, because they're, they're just full of wonder. And sometimes we've had some of them stand up and start imitating the movement they see. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the front. So it's just, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have, um, to have that. One thing that for me, will now be part of my questioning uh, that we have lived um, through the student matinees more than the, um, the general Evening. public shows is that because the general public show, the child comes with either, you know, their parent, their grandparents. It's, it, it's not like a student, student matinee show there. There's less adults than, than youth in the, in the room. Um, so in student matinee shows, when we have a section that is funny uh, they get really, really excited in, in, in the space and they get all very excited and, you know, there can be like 150 of them. So then bringing them down from that excitement sometimes is difficult. So choreographically, I'm still definitely working on that to see how can we bring them to a level of euphoria or, 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 or laughter, but then have them be able to come down and, and, and follow us into the next section, for instance, um, which might be more serious or more mysterious. Um, and it dep depends on the age. It, it, there's so many factors, but definitely that's something that I'm still working on that I don't feel I've mastered yet. And of course, it depends 
who is in front, you know, who is, who is in front of you, but definitely there's something there that I need to go work on, uh, more because the child will definitely get excited and then, and then might just not be able to come down at the pace that we need them to come down for the, for the rest of the piece. Let's uh, spend some time talking about Les Batons, which you're going to be presenting at the Sheikman Art Center. Is this going to be the premiere or have you already yes, presented yes. it? Okay. So it's been a work that came out of a school project, actually, and it started off as an improv work. And um, so it has been presented in schools in various formats, but definitely uh, um, on the 22nd, it will be the premiere of the work for the general public and for the four schools that are coming. Um so we're very, very excited about it. And that piece for me is, it started off, I was in a school, I was working with a wonderful teacher, Hélène Blondin, and she says to me, come in my classroom, I'll show you what I have in my cupboards, which is always fun. And so she opened up her cupboards, and there at one point, there were these beautiful colored tubes, plastic tubes, and I saw them right away, and she said to me, well, they're boom whackers, and I did not know them at all. And they're actually a percussive instrument, and they're used very much uh, in the schools, uh, in music classes. And each um, tube is represents um, uh, une note de la gamme, sorry, a note from the musical scale, would that be right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have one stick that is uh, one tube that is a, a, a doe and one that's a ray and what that's a me and color coded I imagine and color coded so and it looks like they vary by length and yes, which is how they make exactly. different noises yeah, yeah exactly so their length uh, yes so that's how they have the different notes and I think the colors are probably so the kids remember mm -hmm. which one is doe and which was which one is ray so um and when I saw them, I was filled with wonder and I said, oh, definitely, that's the object of my next piece. And what's been interesting in this process, so with Les B, which was the first work that we're labeling as a work for all ages, um, and then Les Souillés d'Angélie, in both those works, the objects that I worked with um, were different in the sense they had to have one characteristic so in Libye so it was marbles and shoes that's yes, right okay so in Libye um we started off with the marbles each object that we were introducing in the work had to be round so we started off with the marbles and then we went on to um, hula hoops and big exercise balls so every time we introduced a new object it had to be round so that was the the rule in Issy d'Angélie it had to be around shoes although our, the lace then became a very long ribbon so there was some extrapolation but it had to the starting point was shoes or boots or but this is the first way that I do that we don't extrapolate so in Les Batons, we only use the boomwhackers. We we didn't go beyond that. And that was interesting in the process because as we were exploring them, I decided that the piece would be like choreographically a proposition of about 10 different ways of how this object could be transformed on stage into something else. So yes, it's a musical instrument, but what else can it be other than that? And that's a game that kids play so much, you know, like everybody talks about that big cardboard box, that big refrigerator cardboard box, 
that the kids play for hours, even though they might have that beautiful brand new toy in the corner, they want to play with a cardboard box because for them it becomes this, 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 that, you know? So I kind of use that same concept of, okay, here we have a musical instrument, we have this object, but what else can, we can transform it in what else? So in some of the sections, the the object is used as a visual element. So, uh, for instance, we um, put them on stage on the vertical um, and we have, you know, maybe 15 of them standing up. So all of a sudden those uh, sticks become a forest of trees. Uh, sometimes we use them in movement. So we have another section where we have one of them and we use it in movement a little bit like... Um, not a barrier, but it's like the dancers are holding in it's a little bit like a, a fence or a barrier. So that was really interesting to choreograph because I found that it brought me in a different way of moving that I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone in that direction in terms of the movement if I didn't have that, that object uh, to play with. So the piece, uh, the through line is the actual object the the boomwhackers that we use in each section but in each section it's used very differently and it will bring the audience in a different place you know vis-a-vis this object could i impose on you to to give us a demo of what the boomwhackers sound like yeah sure i can i'll i'll uh, i'll uh, hit it here So this is our our bright uh, pink one, and of course on a on a stage like I'm hitting it on a table right now, but on the stage it, it sounds much deeper. So now I will do the purple one. So you can hear the different sound that it creates, and like I said, like now on a table it's not the best sound, but definitely when we and then also we can we can hit it on our on our body as well. One more time, this show is premiering. It's called Les Batons. It's premiering on October 22nd here at the Shankman Art Center in Orleans in Ottawa. And uh, at what time and how do people get tickets? So it's at 3 p.m. Now there's only about 20 tickets left. <laughs> so I think the best way would be to go on the Shankman Art Center website. Um, and um, I think their website is designed so that the shows in October are all together and you can find us in there and um, you can purchase them online or call. And, and also, of course, go on the Taralus Dance website uh, and we'll have a link to that. Brilliant. So I, I can already uh, assume that that something you're looking forward to in the future is bringing full productions to different Franco-Ontarian communities. Is there anything else that, uh, that you can point to in, in, in terms of your future dreams for, for dance in Ottawa and the surrounding region? Well, definitely. I mean, I've always had this dream. We're not quite there yet, but I think for us at Talousnance would be to have enough projects in the year that we can employ our dancers even more. Um, the pool of dancers that we have, we're able to give them projects at least 
10 months a year, but it's, it's not full time, you know, it's one project after the other. So they're not employed with us all the time. My dream would be in the future, if we could um, um, increase the amount of work that we can give to dancers in this community, I mean, it would be fantastic. Um, And we're certainly working hard on that. Um, I still have the hope that children will see more contemporary dance and more contemporary art because I think children are great audiences for that. They're so linked to their imagination. They're so linked to their emotions um, that I think that contemporary art that is, of course, um, um, accessible to them, um, they are great audience members for that. And uh, so my hope is that eventually we will have kids um, have more access to the art form. Um, And we're certainly working hard on that too. (laughs) Wonderful. I've been speaking with Annick Bouvret from um, Taralou's Dance. She's the artistic director. And uh, I appreciate very much your time. Thank you. Thank you. And as with the top of the episode, we are going to play a bit of an excerpt now from the rehearsal process of Les Batons. So you can hear these boom whackers in action and uh, as well as the wonderful sounds of the accompanist who is going to be playing live during the performance. Enjoy. Okay. 